Uh, if you are new or newish with us, uh, we are in our Advent series, and we are walking through uh, four themes, <clears throat> and this week we're on hope, and uh, these guys over at the Bible Project up in Portland have done incredible work. We really want to encourage you guys to engage with them, uh, but with that, I want to re- just let you know, and w- I'm Kevin. I'm one of the pastor elders here. It's a joy to be with you this morning, uh, and we are a church that is just centered around Jesus. He's the one that we hope in. Uh, we are a church that just believes that every single one of you are made in the image of God, that you are valuable, not because of the amazing stuff that you can do, simply because you are made in his image. And we are so glad that you are here uh, to celebrate Jesus with us together. And with that, we want to release our kids to continue to learn about Jesus together as they head out in the back with Mr. Vinny. <clears throat> oh, and Mr. G- oh, Garen. Hi. Bye, sweetheart. I love you. Go for it. Go ahead. That was loud. <laughs> that was. No, it was not sloppy. It was, um, what was it? Oh, what's, what'd they change it to? Unforeseen. It was unforeseen. Shocking. I don't know what's worse, one that's unforeseen or one that's sloppy, but I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Hey, if you are new or newish with you, want to highlight some of these things that are nearby. These are our Connect cards. They are these in these baskets right next to you. And if you would like to get connected with us, we would love to get connected with you. Uh, there's an opportunity for you to write down your information, who you are, uh, and any sort of information you'd like back from us. And there's a place to drop these off right inside the out in the lobby uh, on that white wall back there. Uh, but if you don't want to do that, we also have an, an app that is available that has all of the current information, the events that are going on. Our sermons are on there. Our community Bible reading is on there. And this year, as we're going through Advent, we have a weekly devotional that's coming out that is uh, updated each week that allows you to be able to be encouraged, to slow down, uh, and even gives you some practices, some prayer and even uh, a few songs to listen to. So we invite you to engage and participate in that. Uh, we are in our Advent season. If you have little kids, they are working on a performance that's going to be done on the 22nd. And so uh, they have some mini practices each week leading up. So we invite you to make sure to be consistent throughout this time. And then also on the 22nd, just to be prepared, one of our guys already said that his entire family and extended family is coming on the 22nd. Uh, and so there will be quite a few extra people here on the 22nd, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, So come, be ready, be excited. With that, we also want to share about Christmas Eve as well. We have a gathering. We are going to do something that is going to stretch us a little bit, and that's that we're just going to do one gathering and try and all slam together for one gathering at 4.30 on Christmas Eve to come celebrate Jesus together. And so we want to invite you to be inviting friends and neighbors, but we also want to invite you on Christmas Eve. Make sure to get here on time. Uh, as we look to celebrate Jesus together. And with that, we have some exciting updates. Right, Nicole? Yeah. As we invite Nicole, this is Nicole Radin, you guys. Welcome, Nicole. This is Nicole, and she has brought many things back from Greece, including a cold, as you will soon hear. So, uh, Nicole, give us a little update about Greece. Okay, well... uh Last week, the week of Thanksgiving, um, myself and um, two, uh, Ty Ray and our um, other friend, Manpreet, uh, 
packed up and went to Greece uh, for the week of Thanksgiving to help with the uh, to help a church that we have a relationship with there that's addressing the um, refugee crisis specifically in Greece um, lots of people uh, from Syria Iran Afghanistan are fleeing their home countries and coming upon the shores of Greece um, looking for refuge but Greece does not have um, uh, much space or resources or money or um, anything to help these people, so it's created quite a crisis. There's uh, the little church that we have connected with there um, has dropped everything, and in the past five years is full-fledged loving on these refugees in the way that they can. I, I had forgotten how small the church actually is. It's like less than a hundred people, um, and they engage in like four or five different ways. They have a warehouse that they they move stuff, so they need teams that come in um, to help relieve them. So when we come in as a team they are able to take that week off uh, to rest. And so um, they constantly need teams coming in because such a small church with so many projects that they are engaging in, um, it really helps it be a sustainable solution. So I had asked you guys to, um, to donate uh, coloring books and crayons and toothpaste and toothbrushes, um, and you did so, and we brought um, 80 full packages with us to Greece, which was very heavy. 80 coloring books is like 30 pounds, so I, <laughs> I had to um, uh, check two uh, suitcases. But it, it was great, it was worth it. Um, Stavros is our, the pastor there, and he was so excited, and he wanted me to share um, what a blessing it is and what an encouragement it is to his church family um, when Christians from around the world are engaging with him and are pouring out love um, in even in the small way of buying a toothbrush and sending it overseas. Um, so thank you so much for everyone who participated. It was um, we got to um, distribute them in person. Uh, to a gypsy camp, which are, is another um, sector of displaced people in Greece. Um, and the kids were over the moon with excitement about it. Um, and then I also brought some um, coloring books that we had donated to the asylum center, um, where they have a childcare room that they man um, and help provide a safe uh, space for the kids as they wait for their paperwork to be processed, um, which is a very stressful and very boring day for uh, for children. So, um, so your things were well loved, and uh, thank you so much for participating in this uh, with us. Awesome, thanks, Nicole. Nope, you're not done yet. <clears throat> I want so just curious. Before last May, had you been out of the country? overseas to participate in any sort of mission type activity before? Um, no. I, I worked in Ethiopia for a while. Oh, that's right. But, it, but that was not a mission trip. That was for school. But no, that was my first time. So I've been to Greece two times this year. So how would you say going and engaging for the sake of Jesus in another part of the world has either expanded your heart uh, for what God is on about or how, how has it even maybe potentially changed the way that you engage life here? Mm, great questions. Um, it has, the these types of trips are uh, like fun in some ways and heartbreaking in other ways and very humbling. Like that's kind of an overarching piece that I would say that engaging this, the problems of the world are huge, and they are terrible, and they are unimaginably complicated. And it's easy to uh, 
to be like, I am so small and so flawed and so foolish, and, and what can I even bring to the table in something like you know an international refugee crisis? But engaging with my brothers and sisters um, overseas has reminded me that my life's work is one piece of uh, you know, a larger piece of a puzzle that's, that God puts together with all of our efforts. And so he asks us, he specifically commands us in scripture to care for the foreigner, to care for the refugee. And that I am not solving anything on my own. I'm packing some boxes and like coloring pictures with kids. Um, and that's not like solving any global crises, but I'm doing it as part of God's family and seeing and getting to know people um, from all over the world that are working towards these same goals, working towards uh, you know, a kingdom where there is no more tears and no more sorrow and no more death um, is, is life-changingly encouraging. So it's facing a lot of despair, but with hope, which is what we're talking about. That's today. right. Exactly. brought that right back around for you. <laughs> awesome. Uh, there, will be more, there will be more trips that are coming in the future, and we just want to encourage you guys. Uh, I love what Nicole shared there as flawed and sinful and kind of sometimes we have a really maybe negative view of ourselves and our ability to contribute. We want to encourage you guys. It would be such a dream for us to see many more people, not on the same trip, but uh, in, in the future, make it a point to say, especially if you've never gone on one, to get overseas at some point in time and see how God is moving around the world. I, I promise you, it will change your life and you will also join God in his mission to the nations. And so uh, as a church, it's a huge value of ours. And so we want to continue to press into that. If this, as you're, if Nicole was talking about Greece and refugees, if that's something that sparks something in you, come talk to her. She would love to talk with you more. But we also just wanted to thank you guys for participating, for joining, and putting the love of Jesus on display, even by doing something as simple as putting together coloring books and crayons and things like that. And know that these kids in the gypsy, gypsy camp just a week ago were actually like coloring the pictures that you guys bought. Pretty encouraging and pretty fun. Thanks, Nicole. With that, we're going to take some time to do family time. We take three to five minutes to say hi to some of the folks around us, grab some coffee, grab some hot water, some donuts, engage with each other, and we'll be back up in a few minutes to continue our time on hope.
Everybody, if you'll come back and take your seats, please. Hello, everybody. Come on back and grab a seat. Each week of Advent, we have the privilege of reading from the Word a passage that will help us prepare our hearts for Christmas. So, Carlos. Oh, I'm Lauren Amaro. This is Carlos. <laughs> Uh, right. You're gonna need this. Okay. Isaiah 65, 17 to 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. 
No more shall be heard in, the, in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred year years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Thank you, guys. Well, you guys can put uh, your finger there if you have your Bible with you. Uh, we'll come back to that passage in a few minutes. Um, it's exciting. I, I love the opportunity to have Advent every year. It's a, it's a rhythm. It's a pattern that we come up to. And it gives us a moment to slow down. It gives us an opportunity to uh, remember, uh, to anticipate, and to celebrate the coming of Jesus. And so we're looking at four different themes. And we looked at joy last week. And this morning, we're looking at hope. Are you hoping for anything, Chelsea? <laughs> How many days late? Ten days late. Lord Jesus, bring that baby. Come on, Lincoln. But we get the opportunity to hope. Uh, we get to talk about hope today. And, and hope is, is the anticipation of a future reality that is better than today. As followers of Jesus, this is marked by a hope that one day complete healing will come to all who trust in the Lord. That there will be a day where there will be no more sorrow, where there will be no more pain, there will be no more tears, there will be no more disease. And that one day, the new heavens and the new earth will fully and completely collide and the heavens will take over the earth. I'm curious for us as we just start by looking at this, if, if you feel like we are a people that are actually marked by hope. I wonder if, and Austin brought this up this week as we were getting ready for this message, I wonder if we lack hope in this world because we are far too easily pleased with this world. In one of Jesus' famous parables, he warns about the seed that falls on the ground that grows up quickly and is soon choked out by the thorns, which are the cares and pleasures of this world. And sometimes I wonder if we're a people who are too easily pleased with this world and, and where soon thereafter hope isn't something necessarily that we're marked by. And is more of something actually that we just maybe talk about as a general idea. Rather than something that's actually compelling. And, and my, my question for us as we get started that I want to do a little dialogue right now is. What sort of things here and now keep us from hoping in the world that Jesus promises? What sort of things here and now in our culture, in our world 
keep us from hoping in the world that Jesus promises? What comes to mind? What sort of things keep us from hoping? Actively hoping for the world that Jesus promises to bring in. Success. What else? Fear. Fear of what? Everything. <laughs> what else? Sure. Okay. Just a, a lack of what that promise is, right? Sure. Distractions. What sort of things do we fill our tank with today that we find ourselves maybe even unknowingly putting our hope in more than Jesus? Self-care, okay, that's a good one. Relationships, other people, our job, entertainment, our kids, yeah, our family, right, a lot of times. Absolutely. And it's not that all of these things are, are bad by any means. We, we talked about last week, we need to have a proper understanding of where we've been. We need to have a proper understanding of what's to come so that we can engage fully and celebrate fully where we're at today. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, now, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these things is love. Faith and love obviously get a lot of play in Christian circles, but sometimes hope, like many middle children, often gets a little overlooked. And yet we're called to abound in hope. As we're talking about hope this morning, there's pieces of this that I think are actually so crucial to where we are today. And there's this invitation for hope to find its right place in our lives because I think more often than not, hope stays an idea, something that Christians say to one another, rather than something that is actually motivating, compelling, stirring. So I think it's important for us to remember why, why we need hope. And, and I've got a small example for us came for me actually last night. Um, how many of you guys are familiar with croup? Handful of you guys? So my son Henry, he'd been asleep for a few hours. Uh, and I was finishing up things on the message. And, and Keely comes out and she's like, hey, I need you to hold Henry. Go take him outside. We need to get some cool air into his lungs. Because Henry is sitting there labored in his breathing. If you've, never, if you've never had a kid go through croup or if you've never watched it, it actually is really scary. Because your, your child, they're struggling breathing. And then if they cough, they sound like a seal and you want to feel bad for them, but you're actually just mad at the way it sounds. Thankfully, Henry's our third child, but when, when Lucas first got the croup, it was terrifying. 
Like legitimately, there's parts of you where you're wondering, and parents struggle with this a lot, just wondering if their child's going to die from other things, but your kid's struggling breathing. You're like, breathing is like what you need to do to be alive. And there's this fear and this panic that can sometimes develop. And so last night, thankfully, as I was, I, was, I was sitting outside with my son as the rain is coming down, and I was really wishing that it was colder because you want that, that cold air to almost be shocking to your lungs if you, if you are struggling with the crew. But we were sitting out there, and I remembered just starting by just praying over Henry. And by God's grace, my mind actually went to... The truth is this, Jesus, one day Henry's lungs are going to be completely clear. That one day actually all croup is going to be gone. All disease is going to be wiped out. By God's grace, my mind actually went to the future and I was, being a, I was able to actually hope for that day where croup would no longer affect just my son, but anyone ever again. But then the other thing that was helpful is that I looked back. I was like, oh, Lucas has had croup. Eleanor has had croup. And they were pretty scary. They were pretty challenging. But guess what? I was able to look back and realize, oh my gosh, okay, so this is what happened. These are the things we need to do. And that over time, things actually got better. And so with the situation with Henry, I was able to look forward to what I knew theologically is true and what one day will absolutely be certain. And what I did then was I prayed, God, would that reality be there for Henry right now? I prayed for Henry's lungs to be clear, that the breathing would come back. And guess what? The breathing didn't change all that much. But that didn't mean that I then needed to freak out. I could trust and know. And then as I looked back to remember, I was like, okay. We might have to get up a few more times. We're going to have to use that stupid nebulizer thing that every child on the face of the planet hates. It's like the easiest medicine to take, but nobody wants this thing on their face. But sure enough, this morning, Henry pops up, still congested, but he's alive. (laughs) Praise God. Last night, and that's just a very small example, I, I needed hope because I actually had the opportunity to panic, to freak out, to lose hope, and to think, oh my gosh, my son is going to die. I need to take him to the ER right now, get a massive bill, and then just say, hey, he's going to be fine. But there are other times where we need hope that's even maybe a little bit more severe. There's been tougher times in my life or more challenging circumstances like with my cousin Nikki who was born with cystic fibrosis which is an eventually fatal respiratory disease. Over the years there's been tons of improvement over how to care but it's like croup on steroids permanently. But here it was harder but even more necessary to have hope. But this time with Nikki, the hope wasn't necessarily that Krupp would leave his body because there was no cure yet. Yes, we prayed for it. We had hope and believed that God can do that. But for Nikki, the the only hope was that one day, Lord willing, Nikki would be able to breathe like God intended with a new body, with new lungs. The hope was not that Nikki, in his circumstance, everything would be better, but that Nikki would find Jesus. That Nikki would come to know Jesus because it's in Jesus and Jesus alone that that solution was to be held. 
And I needed to have hope that as Nikki passed away at 21 years old, that if he trusted in Jesus, he would have these new lungs and fresh breath. And you guys, I've got to be honest with you, I don't know where Nikki stood before the Lord. I know that we got to do our best to show him the love of Jesus and, and that there were people in the hospital room as he was dying that got to, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, I still, even though I don't know, I still hope in what's true of those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. That there will be a future where those lungs will be restored. That there will be a day where the mind will work properly. That there will be a day when all things will be put back into order. We need hope. Every single one of us. And it's not just in the case of somebody dying. And it's not just in the case of when our kids are sick. We need hope each and every day. And just like last week, we're going to use the framework. You can, if you're taking notes, you can use the acronym RAC, or you can just remember that this is what we're doing. We remember, we anticipate, and we celebrate as we look at the theme of hope this morning. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would continue to teach us this morning. God, I even ask right now that hope would be stirring up within us. God, that you would be confronting us with the realities that sometimes we fall too in love with the things of this world and that we don't long for your kingdom come to your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Father, we do ask even now that you would be creating a posture, a longing for the waiting and the receiving of your kingdom in full. Would you stir us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I promise this isn't meant to be a downer because we get to hope and that hope will not disappoint. But let's look back for a minute. We're gonna remember. It's important as we think about hope that hope is not simply wishful thinking or optimism. Like the guys from Bible Project talked about, optimism, it's the, it's the ability to look at any sort of broken or fragile situation and be able to see some sort of good that might come out of it. That's not what hope is. You see, hope is not dependent on circumstances. It's built around a person. And our hope is not built on just wishful thinking that God would act. It's a hope that is rooted in God's past faithfulness and why we can trust in a future that's coming and that will be greater than our present reality. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to briefly run through how God has been faithful through the ages. And how we can be not foolish in hoping in him, but we can actually be confident in hoping in him. Because our hope, it's rooted in who God himself is. And so when we go back, it's always good to go all the way back to creation. And so like last week, we can see that God created the world and all that was within. And in Genesis 1 verse 31, he looked at all that he had made and it was very good. If he created the world from nothing and it was good and there was flourishing and there was shalom, there's reason to believe that he can redeem it if we, if even we try to screw it up. And we see that take place in Genesis 3 when sin enters the world. 
And in Genesis 3.15, we begin to see our God make promises that he will send one who will come and crush the head of the serpent. Legitimately, as soon as sin enters the world, God is quick to remind his people that he will not leave us orphaned, that he will send one who will remedy the issue. As soon as separation, shame, guilt, sin, and death enters, God promises he will bring a remedy. The story continues in Genesis 2, 12, excuse me, we have a promise from God to Abram that he will multiply his offspring to be as numerous as the stars and he provides Abram at age 90. That's right, age 90. It's never impossible. An offspring for the first time. God promises to deliver his people from slavery and we see that throughout the Exodus that that God is a deliverer. He's faithful to his promises. He rescued more than a million slaves out of Egypt and he brought them into and through the desert. He has proven himself to them. God goes on to promise in 2 Samuel 7 that the Messiah would come from the line of David. He continues to double down on his covenant promise with his people. That this Messiah would come, that one would come whose kingdom would last forever. In Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, we see more of what that promise would entail and a very popular one that we hear around this time of the year. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The song goes off. I had to like stop myself from singing right there. It's for your benefit. And of the increase of his government and the peace of Peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Then in Isaiah 53, we get this promise of a suffering servant who would come and who through his wounds we might be healed. That he would be pierced for our transgressions and would bring humanity peace through his shed blood. And that's why in Luke 2, where the angel declares, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all mankind. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This proclamation, it connects Jesus to the line of David. The one whose kingdom will be established forever. Throughout scripture, what what God is trying to do is to show you over and over and over again that God is faithful. He is worth being trusted. And here we are in this Advent season that we continue to come back and focus in on Jesus. Because he is the remedy that we all need. And Jesus, who is the hope of the world, comes into the picture. But the hiccup of the story is 33 years later, Jesus, the hope of glory, the the one who all of history and humanity, they've been longing for, the hope of this world, he dies. Could you imagine what that would have been like? 
For these who have waited and who who have seen these promises for hundreds and hundreds of years. And now Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Holy One, he's here and he's dead. But praise be to God. He didn't stay that way. And in doing so, ignited a hope that will never be put to shame. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God did not leave us as orphans. He sent us his spirit who is our guarantee, our deposit of what's to come, and also the the deposit of, of hope. He gave us his spirit where we no longer have to be dominated by fear, but we can live a life rooted in power, love, and self-control. And that self-control involves the ability to choose hope in Jesus when all around our soul gives way. Like that beautiful hymn, Solid Rock, says, So in this area of remembering, we've got to remember who God is, what he's accomplished, chiefly in Jesus, as we join in with all creation, as Paul says in Romans 8, as we hope for complete redemption and restoration. Earlier we read through Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. We're going to look at that now as as we look to anticipating the future, as as we look towards anticipating what's to come. And if you've got your Bibles with you and you've got a pen with you, I invite you to mark this up a little bit because Isaiah 65, 17 through 25 uh, really connects really, really well with Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. So we're going to be jumping back and forth between here as, as we look to the Lord to try and help encourage, open our eyes, and help reignite hope in what's to come. There are four pieces that we're going to look at about our future that we anticipate for. And the first one is in verses 18 through 20, and it's life and joy. Let's look at this. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Nor No more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Here, as Isaiah is writing hundreds of years before Jesus is even born, is beginning to long for the day where life and joy 
would flourish, where shalom would reign and where life and joy are just pouring out. There will be no more weeping, no more crying. As he's talking about our lives here, he's using a creative license here to talk about how life will be as God intended it to be, to go on and on and on. There's a good parallel to this in Revelation 21.4 where he says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. There's this longing, this anticipating for life and joy. And if God was faithful and has been faithful throughout the ages and was chiefly faithful in Jesus, letting him go to the cross on our behalf in order that we might be redeemed, that we might be saved through the shed blood of Jesus, there's invitation to trust that we can have hope that one day full joy and full life is coming. The next part we want to look at, 21 through 23. And they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. This second part that we're, we're titling blessing. This, this echoes a lot of what Josh talked about three weeks ago as we talked about engaging in the work that the Lord has given us. That work is actually a good thing. What Isaiah is pointing at and what God is wanting us to see here is too that in the future work will be really good. They shall build houses and inhabit them. Inhabit them. Not just build houses and then have more and more problems and more and more problems and more and more debt and and more and more issues. You're going to be able to work the field and you're going to be able to eat the fruit of your labor. In the future, the future of the coming of the kingdom, work is going to be redeemed. We will truly enjoy the work of our hands and our labor will not be in vain. That doesn't, don't hear me right now say that you can't enjoy it now. That's not what I'm saying. We'll get there in a minute. But what Isaiah is talking about and what the future promises is that in the new heavens and the new earth, work will be fully redeemed. Where you come home tired but with a smile on your face. Not because you finally escaped the drudgery of work, but because you have worked like God has, creatively, in a sustaining fashion where progress is being made and where you're able to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Revelation 22, 1 through 3 gives us, again, a little bit of an image of this. And the angel showed me the river of water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, 
through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no sacred and secular divide. God will be among us, and we will be with him. And work will be good and beautiful. Work will flow through our hands, our pens, our minds, our mouth, our hearts, and we will enjoy the fruits of our labor together. I think this is a hard one for us to get excited about. Again, because most of us view work as a necessary evil to accomplish what we want. And yet God is in the process of redeeming even that here and now. Work is not a necessary evil. Work is a gift. And part of your created design, because we were created in his image, is to work. The sad reality is, though, that sometimes today work is in vain, or it feels that way. There will be a day when legitimately there will not be any work that you do that will be in vain. That's exciting. Okay, next, the third point. Closeness, in verse 24. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are speaking, I will hear. We kind of connect this with Revelation 22, 4. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be a closeness in the new heavens and the new earth. We will see his face. He will hear us. There's so much of this that is available to us here and now. We can talk to the Lord and we have trust and faith and belief that he does hear us. But there's going to be a moment where we are going to see him. We are going to be able to, in essence, watch him hear us. He will answer us. I love that before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear this, again, this picture of there's going to be a closeness to God. The Apostle John says it this way in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children. Now this is helpful. This is what's true now. And what we will be has not yet fully appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We have closeness now in the, regard, in the sense that we are his children. We have been adopted. The spirit dwells within us. That is a beautiful thing. But there is more to come. There is a greater closeness to come. Do we long for that? Do we hope for that? The fourth part in here is peace and justice in verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. As I read that, that, that word hurt stands out to me a lot. 
Some of us have major issues in our life. Some of us have minor issues. They're, all of us really have just major issues. We're just lying about them. But if there's one constant with every single person in this room is that you hurt. There is hurt. You have been hurt and you have hurt. Hurt is a reality that we must face. And what I love about this promise of what's to come in the future kingdom, when the kingdom comes in full, that hurt will be done away with. Can you imagine to truly have every one of your hurts healed? Your frustration with your parents your frustration with a significant other, your hurt when it comes to physical abuse or sexual abuse or whatever might be, that hurt will find a complete and true remedy. And this is why Jesus calls us to hope. There are pieces in which we can experience here and now. But you guys, our bodies are failing. They're falling away. This is why Jesus calls us to long for that resurrection. Where the hope, the healing, the hurt, the destruction will be done away with and a reconstruction will take place. Where we have a new body as we engage with the new heavens. We engage with the new earth. In the future, in this coming kingdom, there will be no hurt or destruction. Isaiah is highlighting that there will be shalom. That there will be flourishing. And that flourishing is not possible without justice. Revelation 21, 5 through 9 helps give us this picture. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Love this verse. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and they will be, and he will be my son or daughter. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It was all really exciting till that last part. But Isaiah's opening our eyes to this as well. John is opening our eyes to this as well. This is important. In the new heavens and the new earth, there is justice and it reigns supreme. But we gotta be careful, we could read this. Most of us are like, oh man, some of those characteristics are things that I've done. I've been sexually immoral. I've had this, I've done that. This is why it's so important to remember what we've learned even in 1 Corinthians. When Paul rattles off this entire list, almost exactly what John says here. And he says, and such were some of you. But he says this, but, but you were washed. You have cleaned. You've been ransomed. This is why our hope is not built on what I have done, the things that I can do. Our hope rests securely in Jesus and his completed work. 
In the new heavens and new earth, there will be no injustice. There will be no destroying. There will be no hurting of any form. This is what's coming. And throughout scripture, there is this, this call to hope and wait on the Lord for this day. And I think there's a lot of us, maybe there's many of you in this room, you actually anticipate this day like crazy. This is an active thing for you on a regular basis. My guess is for the majority of us, we get swallowed up by the cares and pleasures of this world really fast, and we stop longing and hoping for the kingdom that the Lord will bring. And we start delighting solely in what we have here and now. And there's a lot that we should be delighting in here and now. But I want us to see that scripture, the narrative throughout, calls us to remember, to look back, calls us to anticipate how what's forward, coming forward so that we can celebrate right where we are. Turn to 1 Peter 3 if you've got it. First Peter 3, verse 1, excuse me, verse 3. That's where we're starting. <clears throat> okay, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, <clears throat> though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hope is not just for the future. Hope is for now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We don't have to live in this world with a frown on our face and thinking that everything is going to garbage we get to recognize here and now that we are born again into a living hope. And that hope is secured through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Hope is here. We don't just wait for it to come. But we also rejoice in what will one day be finally true. But if this hope really is here, there's, there's this invitation to also share this hope. There's not much that God does to you, if any, that God does to you that he doesn't also want to do through you. God has created his people to be like him who is generous, and that's to share. You and I, we've been born again into a new hope, a living hope, one that's not dead, one that's active. 
And we get to share this hope with others. First Peter 3, 14 through 15. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Theologians for a long time or or especially seminary students will use this verse to talk about how we need to be ready to defend our faith to the T. It says be ready to defend the hope that you have. The hope. The greatest of these is, of these three, we have faith, hope, and love. This call to abide in every single one of these things. What is he asking you to defend? Defend the hope. This gives us a picture that hope is to be visible. To be seen. Not just a future thing, but your life is lived differently because of the hope that you have in Jesus. What does it look like for hope to become visible in your life? If our hope is secure in Jesus and Jesus alone, how does that change the way that we live? Worship team, come on up. Why am I legitimately, you should be thinking about this question and take time to ponder it this week. How does hope become visible? How does hope become visible? We look to our community. Why might people ask you about the hope that you have? Maybe because you look at politics a little bit different. Actually, it could be a way in which hope becomes more visible. Maybe with the way that you engage with the poor and the destitute and the broken, hope might be more visible. Maybe the way you spend your money or don't spend your money. Maybe how you react when you should be offended and you're not. Maybe because you're actually declaring with your words that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, our living hope. But I hope that we are, we've begun to see just in part that hope is not just, it's more than an idea. Hope is something we're called to abound in. And if we're to abound in hope, we must look back and remember the faithfulness of God. We must look forward into what is going to come so that we can celebrate the hope that we now have that will never put us to shame. So we're going to respond now. Uh, Each Sunday we get the opportunity to celebrate communion. Uh, And this morning, I I want to invite you guys to take communion. We're going to be singing two songs together. You can sing, I actually would probably encourage you to do it towards the beginning to go take the bread, which represents the body of Christ, which is given for you and I. Dip it in the juice with a few people around you. You can huddle up in different spots in the room. Take communion, remembering God's faithfulness. 
take communion looking forward and we're called to take communion until Jesus returns. This is part of this anticipation of him coming in full. And take it as you eat it and celebrate the life, death, resurrection of Jesus together. We're also going to respond and we're going to sing. We're going to sing of the beauty of our King. We are going to offer prayer available to the sides if you want to receive prayer this morning. And we give you the opportunity to give as part of your worship. So with that, would you stand together as we respond now? Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are our living hope. We thank you that we have been born again into this living hope. And God, I just pray for my friends this morning, any who are struggling and maybe feel like I've felt at different points, even this week, and feeling a bit hopeless here and there, that God, you would reignite the hope that you've made available to us as we remember who you are, what you've done chiefly in Jesus, that we would remember that you've given us the Holy Spirit And God, would you create in our hearts a true anticipation for your kingdom to come in full? Would you give us a desire to celebrate and join you in the process of sharing your hope with this world? We love you so much, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.